unless you're spending 50% of your time with your customers, you're going to lose your edge. You, you have to be asking that question, what else hurts that we can help? Uh, what pain do you have that we can make go away? Episode 176, The Eight Traits of the World's Best CEOs. You're listening to The Game Changers with Jason Jennings. Leadership lessons in speed, productivity, growth, innovation, and reinvention. Now, here's worldwide best-selling author and speaker, Jason Jennings, and your host, Dale Dixon. Welcome to The Game Changers, the podcast dedicated to leading highly principled people to their full potential. I am your host, Dale Dixon, with 1.3 million listens and downloads and growing every week. This is The Game Changers with Jason Jennings, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, USA Today bestselling author of eight books on leadership, growth, innovation, speed, and reinvention. Jason, great to be with you. Dale, it's great to be back with you. And uh, we... It's interesting because the listeners need to know, I get the topic and a couple notes about 15 to 20 minutes before we actually record the conversation. We are both occupied, aren't we? This, is, this, is, um, this is, doesn't happen. Uh, so last night, I went to my bookshelf and I pulled off Think Big, Act Small and started reading it. And... Um, it's interesting because I saw a number of names in the first of the book that we're going to be talking about today in the eight traits of the world's best CEOs. So this all comes from conversations that you've had. And in the past 25 years, am I getting this right? 34,000 interviews or conversations in the last um, 25 years? That's yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, it is a huge number, and every time I use that number, so I, so actually earlier today I I sat down and I did the math again uh, because it sounds like an incredulous number, uh, thirty four thousand interviews over the past twenty five years, uh, but the math is pretty simple. Uh, I've done fourteen thousand interviews for books and twenty three thousand for speeches, and uh, yes, I've had researchers accompany me on many of the interviews for books, uh, but if you if you break it down, it averages about twenty plus interviews a week, basically 52 weeks a year times 25 years. And, and there's a number like 35, 36,000 interviews in total. So I use the 34,000 number. And, uh, and you know what? Um, I am more curious now, Dale, than I was when I began this process 25 years ago. And I am looking forward to the next 34,000 interviews. There is just something invigorating about either in person or, or getting somebody who's really doing something and making it happen and getting them on the telephone and spending an hour with them. It's, um, it's, it's, it's amazing. I, I, I can't recall ever having done one or I haven't gotten off uh, the phone uh, or walked out of somebody's business. It wasn't totally revitalized. So yeah. Uh, so everything that I talk about uh, comes with the weight of those 34,000 conversations and interviews. Yes. Well, there's something to be said for learning from others, standing on the shoulders of others, and that's yep. what you give us an opportunity to do. So let's talk about today's episode. In, in the course of those conversations, you've been able to identify eight traits yeah. that, uh, that really stick out. So talk about the motivation behind our conversation today. Okay. Um, uh, so I, 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 I spend the first 10 minutes when I jump out of bed every morning at five o'clock, make my cup of decaf, go out to the greenhouse, sit in the dark 
and uh, and the first ten minutes are are just about gratitude, and uh, and thinking about those things I'm grateful for. And a few days ago, uh, you know, I, I think I'm too young to put together a list of the great hits, but. Uh, a few days ago, I was thinking about how, how, how truly fortunate and blessed I've been uh, to talk and spend time with these unbelievable business leaders, these high achievers, and uh, and and some of their na- names and faces just started appearing. And I thought, you know what? For every book I've done, I mean, there's been lots of information in every book, but I've never put together this compendium. I, I've, I've never said, uh, uh, what are the eight most important things from all the books? And so the last several days during my time of gratitude and my time of thinking in the morning, I've been thinking, you know, what were... What were some of the most profound discoveries I made or the, or, or the biggest things I heard that had a profound impact on me? And so I started putting together a list. And, and I, I could have come up with more than eight, uh, but I thought that eight was a palatable number. Let's jump right into them. Okay. Number one on the list. Number one on the list. I will never forget sitting in the conference room with Tim and Richard Smucker, the co-CEOs of J.M. Smucker. Just an incredible story of growth, an incredibly well-run company. And uh, I was looking at uh, at a Bible verse uh, above the desk of, of, of the man who had been their father. And, um, and, and we've all heard, uh, and all of us can say the words, that what you sow, you're going to reap, correct? You've heard that. Absolutely. Okay. All right. But I don't think most people really know the complete Bible verse. And it's from Galatians 6, 7. And I'm sure you can see this in the books of other faiths as well. But I remember the profound impact it had on me. And and we I discussed this with Tim and Richard Smucker a lot. And here it is. The verse actually begins, be not deceived. God will not be mocked. For whatever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And I thought, wow, the big part of that is not that you're going to soweth what you reap. The big part of that is at the end of the day, don't kid yourself. You're not going to mock God. You're not going to mock the forces of good. You're going to get caught. And so that really brought home one of the most powerful traits of all the great CEOs and entrepreneurs that I've had the opportunity to spend time with, they all practice the golden rule. Uh, you know, I've never, I've never interviewed a bad CEO. They, they, I guess they just never got that far in the research process. They're out there. We see them uh, written about all the time. Uh, but just remember, don't kid yourself. Nobody is going to be mocked. You're going to get found out. So follow the golden rule. So that's rule number one that I want. That's to a character. That's a character issue you're talking about. And, it is. And uh, some in, in the past, we've heard people say, well, I can be one thing in the CEO role. And then it doesn't matter how I live my personal life. And what you're saying is it's a character issue through and through how you live personally is going to impact how you lead professionally. Yeah. Uh, be not deceived. You're going to get caught. Somebody knows and the beans are going to get spilled. And it might be a higher power or it might be a real good journalist. So don't kid yourself. That's number one. Practice the golden rule. Number two, uh, I remember trying to 
make an appointment with, uh, and, and getting into CEOs is always very, very difficult. And so I, I'm, I'm sitting in the exact same chair at the exact same workstation where one day I thought, well, I've got to get to Ron Sargent, the CEO of Staples. And so uh, I called the Staples telephone number in Massachusetts, and I said, uh, Ron Staples' office, please. And I expected to hear some voice come on, uh, Ron, uh, Ron Sargent's office. And this man picked up the phone. He said, Ron Sargent. And I said, uh, is this really Ron Sargent? And he said, yes, this is Ron Sargent. Who are you? What can I do for you? I said, well, why do you answer your own phone? And he said, well, why wouldn't I answer my own phone? He said, I'm not here a lot. I'm out in the stores most of the time. But if I'm here, I'm perfectly capable of answering my own telephone. And that began a great relationship. And uh, I mean, that tells you everything you almost need to know about somebody. And I remember my time with him. And, and the big one that I got from him was this. And, and we talked about it a long time. Never fill a spot with a body. Never fill a spot. Just get me somebody. I mean, just get somebody to get the job done. No, no. Never fill a spot with a body and make sure you've got a program in place to identify future stars. That was a real big one for me. Any thoughts on that one? Well, we see it, especially now in many parts of the, the United States, at least. We've got unemployment, unemployment rates at record lows. Yep. And I hear from business owners who are being forced into this uh, area. They feel that they're being forced into the area. I'll, I'll put it that way. That they have to fill a spot and hire yep. the first person who walks in. And uh, there's... I've really worked to adopt an idea of recruiting, not hiring, finding the right person and not giving up until the right person is found before bringing them on board. Yeah. And I mean, there's, there's something else uh, here. uh, And I, I don't want to turn this into a political discussion by any stretch of the imagination, but the bottom line is if your business model uh, is so shaky or skimpy that you're still looking to hire people and pay them six, seven, or eight dollars an hour. Uh, you're going to be required to just find a body to fill a spot. I don't eat a lot of fast food, but uh, uh, a week ago we decided to stop at an In and Out Burger, and uh, and there's the big sign outside In and Out Burger: starting wages nineteen dollars an hour. And I thought, you know what? They've got it. I mean, what does it take to live? I mean, the bottom line is if you're not making 25 bucks an hour, which is $1,000 a week, which is $50,000 a year, and your husband, wife, or partner is not making 50000 bucks, it's really difficult to live, especially in any major metropolitan area. And so, you know, if you're still back in the dark ages where you're still trying to hire people for six or seven dollars an hour, that's ridiculous. And you're going to be filling and it's all going to come back to bite you the backside. So you got to make sure that your business model leaves room that you could recruit as opposed to hire, as you said. Absolutely. Number three. Number three, uh, Jeff Loberbaum, Mohawk Industries, carpet, floors, the biggest in the world, $11 billion. One of the toughest guys I ever had trying to gain access to uh, calls and calls and calls and calls and calls. Uh, nothing. Letters, nothing. Emails, nothing. I mean, nothing, nothing at all. 
And finally, I enlisted the help of somebody, one of his clients who spends five or $600 million a year with him. And I said, you know, get this guy to call me back. And one morning, uh, again, sitting at my same workstation, I'm sitting at right now, I got a call. Is this Jason Jennings? Yes, this is Jeff Lauberbaum. He said, what do you want? That's why well, I want to talk to you. He said, well, be here in my office tomorrow morning at nine o'clock. And so I flew from San Francisco to Atlanta on a red eye, got in the car, got to his place. And we've talked about him in an earlier episode, had one of the most incredible days uh, that I've ever had and learned so much. And he, he just goes from strength to strength. But the big lesson I learned from him is this. I learned many lessons, but make your customers' lives easier and constantly wring out waste. Now, when you think about a manufacturer of carpet, I'm not sure who you think the customers are, but he got me very clear. Uh, The customer who buys carpet from Mohawk uh, is not the person with the home looking for carpet for the family room or hardwood floors for the living room and dining room. That's not the customer. The customer is actually the store that sells it. And so he said, it's a given that you've got to have great carpet, great hardwood floors, great tiles. He said, that's just a given. I mean, but that's not the starter. He said, the starter is to know who your customer is. In our case, the the customer is the carpenter flooring store. And our entire life revolves around making their life easier. So make your customer's life easier. So I guess you better know who your customer is first, really know who the ultimate customer is, and then constantly wring out waste. That was a huge one from him. Number five. I'm mean, number four. We're number, number four. four. Number four. Uh, Keith Ratty. Uh, Keith was uh, the CEO of Questar at the time, uh, natural gas uh, company based in Salt Lake City. Uh, enjoyed my time, my day with him. And what I got from him is uh, he said, I constantly work to root out any sense of entitlement and complacency, and we've got to remain humble. And then he said, and you have to leave when you lose your sense of urgency. Several years later, he lost his sense of urgency and he left. He followed his own advice. Constantly root out entitlement and complacency, stay humble, and leave when you lose your sense of urgency. It's the most visible sign of this, but getting rid of the assigned parking spots at the front <laughs> closest to the door is one of the uh, quickest ways to do that. Uh, you got it. You got it. Number five, uh, one of the favorite characters in my life, Dr. Jim Goodnight of SAS Institute, the software company. 30 years of double-digit growth. They just go from strength to strength to strength. And uh, again, I learned many lessons from all of these people, but the most important one I learned from him is never become too important for your customers. And he spends 50% of his time with customers. Here's a man whose company is worth billions and billions and billions of dollars, who's a billionaire many times over, um, who could basically do whatever he wants to do. And it goes back to an episode we did a couple of uh, editions ago. I mean, he treats every day as day one. And here's this man who spends 50% of his time with his customers. Unless you're spending 50% of your time with your customers, you're going to lose your edge. You have to be asking that question, what else hurts that we can help? Uh, What pain do you have that we can make go away? How can we make your life easier? And unless the top dog is one of the people asking those questions, 
by the time stuff funnels up and reaches the top dog, it's not going to be accurate information. So that's the big one that I got from Dr. Jim Goodnight. I love the idea of uh, the, the way you explained this first uh, was keeping your hands dirty. Yep. When you think about sowing and reaping and tying this into yep. agriculture in some ways, keeping your hands dirty is the way you really get things done and do it right. Yep. Uh, number six, the, uh, the best travel agent I ever met was actually a chairman, CEO, and president of legendary CoBank, a $120 billion bank, uh, Bob Engel. And as he told me, he said, you have to pick a destination, be able to explain to everyone what it means to them, and communicate it constantly. You and I, in my speeches, I call it purpose, but you've got to be able to sell the purpose. You've got to be able to sweep people along to the destination. And so a great CEO has to be a travel agent, a destination agent, explaining to people what it means to them to come along on this journey and communicate it and celebrate it constantly. So uh, that's number six. You ready for number seven? Please. So here I am. I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. I've been with Marshall Larson at the time, the CEO and chairman of Goodrich Corporation for hours. And he comes from a military background. Uh, he w- grew up in a small town in the Dakotas, um, was sent off to West Point, uh, spent time a big amount of his life in the military. And uh, generally, I- I'm pretty good as people are talking about things. I mean, if I have context, I can fig- if, if I hear a word I don't know or a phrase I- I've never heard before, um, and, and I've got context. I, I mean, at least I can go along and kind of pretend to know and figure it out later. But he kept talking about having an axis of advance. Now, I'm, I'm not a military expert. I don't read many military books. And so I knew it had to come from the military, axis of advance. Well, I finally, you know, you, you can't fake it. And I, I just had to look at him and said, and, and it's always the best policy. I said, I'm unfamiliar with the phrase axis of advance. I said, I'm not a military guy. Can you explain it to me? And he said, well, for you, I'll make it real simple. He said, you have to have the exact steps to reach your destination and make certain that everyone knows their exact responsibilities and are prepared to be held accountable. And that's how he helped that company achieve its full economic potential. One of the truly great leaders um, in American business. So that's an axis of advance if you didn't know. And so the axis is your destination, responsibilities, accountability. Yes, down to, uh, down to a person. Mm. And then finally, it's, it's got to be on the list. And hopefully when you review these eight points quickly, they'll, when they all come together, uh, people will realize the enormity of, of, of these points. But I'll never forget uh, the day I spent with Charles Koch, uh, the founder and head of Koch Industries. And I believe he's America's most misunderstood man. He is painted as a right-wing uh, nutcase, and he's not that at all. He's a libertarian, and he's a good guy. And... Uh, wants the best thing for everyone. Uh, he's, um, and he was tough to get to. And, um, and we talked about this. I think we devoted a whole episode of a, of a podcast to this, but, um, uh, to tell the story just one more time, as we were getting ready to wrap up today, 
um, he gave me this big book. It was a five-year plan. And he said, are you going home to California? And I said, yes. He said, we'll take it. And I said, oh, wow. I mean, don't you want me to sign a non-disclosure agreement or something? And he said, no, 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 no. Take it, read it, copy it, uh, give it to whoever you want. We, we want everybody to see it. He said, we want everybody to know what we're up to. And uh, he said, that way our competitors can know when they're going to die, too. And which I just thought was great. And he, and he meant it tongue-in-cheek, obviously. And here's what I learned from him. And, and it was profound for me at the time. You know, in business, we're taught to keep our cards close to our vest. You know, this is on a need-to-know basis. All of that stuff's bullshit. It's only designed to keep a precious few people feeling very special. What I learned from him is this. Share all the knowledge with all the people. Because power is no longer about knowledge. Everybody has access to the same knowledge one way or the other. Execution is what you're looking for. Flawless execution. And he maintains the more people who have the knowledge, the more likely you are to have flawless execution. So in reminiscing about some of this incredible cast of characters I've, I've spent time with during the past uh, 20 years for my eight books, these are the eight things I've been thinking a lot about the last few days. Hmm. Can I rehash, uh, just go through and, and yep. give yep, a really please. quick synopsis of those, uh, those eight. So at number one, it's, it's about character, practicing the golden rule, realizing that uh, from Galatians 6, 7, be not de- deceived, God is not mocked, what a man sows, he reaps. Uh, number one, character. Number two, never fill a spot with a body and have a program to identify and nurture your future stars. At number three on this list of what Jason has learned from the world's top CEOs, make your customers' lives easier and constantly get rid of waste. At number four, root out entitlement and complacency, remaining humble. Never, number five, never become too important for your customers. Get your hands dirty is the concept here. 50% of Dr. Jim Goodnight's time from SAS Institute is spent with his customers. At number six, be a travel agent. And this is all about purpose. Pick a destination, explain it clearly so that everyone knows where they're going and communicate it constantly. At number seven, it's build an axis of advance. The idea is that... uh, You have to clearly articulate the steps to reach a destination, making sure that everyone knows their exact responsibilities down to each person and that each person is held accountable. And at number eight, share all the knowledge with all the people. Knowledge is not power. Execution is power. And most won't do what it takes to execute well. The best way to make sure that those who will execute is to make sure they're armed with the knowledge. So... Knowledge is power. Knowledge is not power. Execution is power. And share all the knowledge. <clears throat> Any final thoughts for us? Uh, yeah. As a matter of fact, I've got one. Uh, I was a guest on another podcast um, a few weeks ago. And somebody uh, asked me, now tell me how you take notes. And I thought, do I give them my secret or do I not give them my secret? And I learned a long, long time ago, uh, I, I don't take notes when I talk to people. I, um, I want to be 
I'll have a uh, I'll have a recorder on. I'll turn my phone on. I'll record the conversation, and I'll say, "And if you ever want me to shut it off because you want to tell me something that you don't want recorded, just tell me to turn it off." But I, I find when you're sitting there with a pad of paper in hand and a pen in hand, asking people questions and writing down their responses, they are really feeling they become very guarded, and they're very very reluctant to just open up and tell the real story and tell the whole story. And, you know, if you're going to have a half hour or 45 minute meeting with somebody, I mean, if you're not capable uh, of, of remembering the main points and then going and sitting in your car or dictating them into your iPhone or, I mean, whatever you want to do, you probably need to be in another line of work. I mean, obviously you're not a very good listener if you can't remember the key points. So, uh, you know, don't take a lot of notes. Take take notes. Uh, write it down after the fact. Record it. Uh, but uh, you never want anybody to feel like they're being interviewed because they're not going to be open with you. Be fully engaged in the conversation. Yeah, you got to be sitting there and saying, and then what happened? I mean, like you're listening to the most fascinating story you've ever heard in your life. Mm-hmm. And one more, one more final thought. Estoy emocionado. Uh, en dos días voy a viajar a Bogotá, Colombia, y voy a dar un discurso. Y en dos semanas voy a viajar a la Ciudad de México por un discurso allí. So uh, I'm not trying to show off, but I'm so excited. I'm on my way to Bogota, Colombia uh, to keynote a big leadership conference. I'm really, really excited. And, uh, and then I... I come back to California for a precious few days and then I'm on another airplane uh, to Mexico City for another huge uh, leadership event. So, uh, wow, I'm one fortunate man. Mm. Enjoy the travels. And with that, uh, Jason would love to hear from you. He'll catch up with his email, but uh, definitely responds to everyone who writes. The address, Jason at jason-jennings.com. Also be sure to subscribe to this podcast. You can do it easily at jason-jennings.com slash iTunes. Jason Jennings is the author who USA Today has called one of the three most in-demand business speakers in the world. Learn how your group or company can have Jason keynote your next event visit the website, jason-jennings.com. This is The Game Changers, the podcast dedicated to leading highly principled people to their full potential. You've been listening to The Game Changers, leadership lessons in speed, productivity, growth, innovation, and reinvention with business thought leader, best-selling author, and keynote speaker, Jason Jennings. Read Jason's most recent New York Times bestseller, The Reinventors, and visit his website at jason-jennings.com.